Chapter 10 of The Gentle Persuasion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by April 6090. The Gentle Persuasion Sketches of Scottish Life by Alan Gray. The Old Provost. Camus Brown, ex provost of the ancient burgh of Dromscundy, held a most unique position in the little commonwealth. For many years he had filled the civic chair. His tenure of the office was still proudly remembered, and his opinions quoted by the burgesses of the tune. It was he who bore the cost of restoring the steeple which for over a century had carried the bell that rung the curfew. The old provost, as he was called, was a notable man in the community while he never now interfered openly in civic affairs he was kept well posted as to all the doings of the consul and it was well known that to attempt any scheme which did not have his approval was to court certain failure his successor was a harmless havern hoodie not overstocked with prudence and certainly not overburdened with wisdom and had there not been sometimes the unseen influence of Thomas Brown at work, things would not have gone as smoothly as they did. Speaking of Willie Dundas, the provost in my day, I am reminded of an amusing incident that well illustrated his crass ignorance and self-conceit. He had gone to spend a day or two in his native village of Friochenheim, about twenty miles from Drumskidney. On his return he was met at the railway station by a member of the Toon Council, and the two men walked home together, discussing current events. During his absence there had been a solar eclipse, which caused quite a commotion among the villagers. "'I provost, and did ye see the eclipse?' said the councillor. The great man was amazed at the question, and replied in a tone that was meant to crush the questioner man donald i wonder at ye spearin' sick a thing who could i see the eclipse and me at friochenheim nothing so uplifted willie as to have to preside at any public meeting in the toon hall for a day or two previously he would be in such a state of excitement that any work in his shop short of a coffin to be made was entirely out of the question several times a day he would have to ganged on the tune on business which meant on each occasion one or two bottles of ale with cronies at the inn and it generally happened that by the time he came to mount the platform he was prepared to make a speech that would take the palm as the most amusing item on the program one halloween night a party of musical folks had given an entertainment in the hall in aid of some contemplated local improvements the provost rose to thank the visitors for their kindly help. "'Gentlemen and ladies,' he said, "'I am sure we're a vera muckle obliged to the friends "'that's fooshin' ye here the night. "'Ye've keen us a concert that could have been eaten "'in the big tune, o' oh, Aberdeen. "'I hope we'll a-gang home like a guide bairns "'and be thankful that we leave and seek an enlightened tune.' There's a heap mare I could see about it. But, but, I mean, I think we'll draw the meeting to a con, con close. We a verse of the Netteral Anthem. 
Where's the Principator? Oh, you're there. Are you, Rob? Just strike up. God save the Queen. Thomas Brown's remarks on his successor were more forcible than polite. What in of the world guards the useless blethering creature? Stand up and make a fool of hisself in the tune council? He fair bites and gain I had a neep turn up big nuke. I could make a better man out of oot we manief. Tamis was an Episcopalian of a type that is fast passing away. More's the pity. In his young days he had received his religious training under a succession of clergy who had imbibed freely of the teaching of the great Oxford revival. Church doctrine was set forth with no uncertain sound, but there was no attempt at anything of the nature of ceremonial. The services in St. John's were plain but reverent. There was no chanting of the palms. Priest and people read them antiphonally, Tamis leading the people's part in clear stentorian tones. He had a perfect horror of anything that savored of ritualism. During my first winter there, the heating arrangements of the church were not of a very satisfactory kind, and on several occasions we were nearly frozen out. I had contracted a severe cold in my head, and to protect my bald pate, had taken to wearing a small silk skullcap. For several Sundays no notice was taken of this, but one day the storm burst. I was taking off my surplice in the vestry when the door opened, and Tamis stood before me. His face was severe. My greeting fell unheeded. He pointed to the cap and said sternly, "'We want none of thy popish things here, Maester Gry. "'Thy bannets may do a very weal among the pure creatures in Edinburgh. "'That can no better, but they'll no do here.' "'I assured him that our own bishop himself wore one. "'But that argument was worse than useless. "'What kins he about the old suffering Scottish church? "'He's only an Englishman. "'We're no owner the English church. "'Although we're in communion, we her. We have a history that gangs as far back as hers, and we're no to get the fashion set by a ween mean moved beats o crates that introduce kinds o trumpery to please idle women folk. Here was a storm in a teacup. I saw it was no use discussing the question, so I quietly replied, Well, well, provost, I'll be very glad to follow the example of godly Bishop Jolly, who wore a full-bottomed wig. How do you think that would suit you? He was too serious about the matter to take a joke. So I put the cap in my pocket and assured him that I would not permit such a trivial thing to give him any worry, and here the matter ended. For a clergyman to wear a straw hat or anything except the orthodox clerical headgear was to him almost sacrilege. Indeed, any change from the conservative fashions of his youth met with his strongest censure. It took me a considerable time to sound his depths and understand his idiosyncrasies. But when I at last succeeded in getting into touch with him, I learnt to esteem him highly. The first glimpse I got of his real inwardness was on the occasion of a visit which he and I paid to Glasgow to attend the annual meeting of the church council. It was his first visit to the West, and I did my best to make it a pleasant one. I took him through the grand old Gothic cathedral, and pointed out its beauties as best I could. It was a wonderful revelation to the old man. He said very little until we were just about to leave the building. 
one last look he must have and as he stood in the centre of the nave and gazed up at the finely moulded arches and the lovely tracery of the windows he exclaimed in a voice quivering with emotion no man need ever tell me that this place was bigot for call presbyterian worship na na the men that bigot this worshipped god in the beauty of holiness i maister gry thy forebears o ours had a wonderful grip o the faith and they left their belief in the walls and roof and even in the foundation o this grand biggin it's a perfect picture o the spiritual temple that the maister wants us to raise the foundation takes the form o the cross to teach us that our real life mon be based on sacrifice there's the sacred number three typical o the trinity in the three aisles leading up to the altar insane there's the nave that's the church militant and the choir that's the church in paradise and the sanctuary that's the church triumphant there's a heap mare if a body only take time to find it out lang lang scene i mind on the dean tellin us about of this in a sermon but i never had any idea before who it could be i'd be set first i would nay ha missed this grand sight for anything how short-sighted i had been in my estimate of the old provost i could hardly believe that the simple countryman who stood before me his face aglow with enthusiasm pointing out with a keenness of perception that was wonderful the beautiful teachings of gothic art was the man whom i had hitherto supposed to be devoid of emotion to say that i was thunderstruck but feebly expresses my feelings now i knew him as i had never known him before now i knew that under the reserve of his cold austere outer shell there was a depth of devotional feeling to which he rarely gave vent in words had he lived in the days of the nonjurors when it was a crime in scotland to be an episcopalian he would have been one of the staunchest of the faithful remnant of his own personal religion he would have said little but when necessity arose he would have been ready with a reason for the faith that was in him now he could see that the old provost was one of those who kept the precious things of the spiritual life locked up in the sacred repository of his heart and who with lady nairn the poetess felt that religion ought to be a walking and not a talking concern the vestry of st john's in whose hands lay the management of the temporal affairs of the parish consisted at this time of four members with myself as chairman all the four were men worthy of note the old provost of whom i have been speaking was secretary and treasurer the honourable james stuart the laird of throthinless was of scottish birth and upbringing but a graduate of the english university of cambridge succeeding to the estate after he had passed middle life he had set himself to carry out the principles of christian socialism which he had learned at the feet of kingsley maurice and fawcett his neighbor lairds smiled at his enthusiasm and looked on him as a harmless faddist but he went on his way and very soon gained the esteem and affection of the tenantry as well as the retainers on his lovely demeans andrew blair had been for many years a successful railway contractor but even in his busiest times had never ceased to maintain a warm interest in all that concerned the best welfare of the ancient scottish church now that he had taken to the quiet life of a farmer his interest in church affairs was intensified adam skeen was a tradesman in the village of dunluther 
on the southern side of the cairn his flowing beard of snowy white marked him as one of the fathers of the congregation but in spite of advancing age it was something of very grave import which would keep him at home on the weekly day of rest staff in hand he trudged the seven miles of hill road sunday after sunday in order that he might worship with the brethren of his father's faith many an earnest discussion did these four worthies have in the dear old parsonage at the quarterly meetings of the vestry seldom was there anything of the nature of friction although sometimes i had to exercise some tact to keep the provost and andrew blair from misunderstanding the somewhat novel ideas put forth by the laird when i proposed a weekly celebration of the holy communion at an early hour mr stewart warmly supported me adam skeen who was always willing to be led by those better educated than himself raised no objection andrew blair had sent his sons to one of the schools of the woodardian foundation where they had received careful instruction in sacramental life and so he knew somewhat of the stirring among the church's dry bones he was at least willing to hear all that could be said in favor of the proposed innovation the provost alone was in opposition he listened while the others expressed their approval and then in awe-inspiring tones he gave his verdict i'm no saying maister gray but what ye mean weel in what ye propose but for my part i think you'd better leave things as they are i wadn't a mind new and then on the greater feasts maybe hayin what ye can in early celebration but take ye care lest ye make sacred things o'er common when the old dean was prayin me for my first sacrament he spake a heap about o'er preparation for the ordinance and i would just be feared that your new plan meet lead some o's specially the young folk to gang for it unprepared i dinna doot that what ye say about the early christians is true enook but ye maun mind that there was less risk of them dishonourin the lord's body than we may stow us the very persecution they had to thole fray the heathen was enook to keep them reet but new days we're free fray only interference and can worship as o'er conscience tell us and maybe we're just ready enook to take things easy for my part i'll eat and be content with the old way that my father had before me my youthful zeal made me inclined to slight the old man's caution i carried out my proposal and i feel sure that it was wisely done even if it was the cause of little coolness for a time the old provost was not unreasonable and i think he saw the good that had been effected End of chapter ten